to address the issues facing Tennesseans today. From 10 News, this is Inside Tennessee. Good Sunday morning and welcome to Inside Tennessee. I'm your moderator, John Becker. Our guest this morning has led the University of Tennessee since 2011. During that seven-year tenure, the school's 25th president has been gracious with his time and joined us on a number of occasions for this broadcast. And that includes this morning, just ahead of his last day on the job. We welcome back Dr. Joe DiPietro to our program. Thank you for being here. Glad to be here, John. Let me introduce our panel and then we'll get to the questions. On the end there is Don Bosch, runs his own law firm and happens to be a Democrat. Good morning, John. Good morning. Susan Richardson-Williams is a Republican, runs her own PR firm. Good morning, John. Good morning. John North joins us. He does everything at WBIR. What's your latest gig? Uh, janitor. Janitor. Okay. <laughs> John North, nice to have you. Great colleague of ours. And uh, Dr. Joe, let's start with a couple of current events. The first being this amazing job announcement by Amazon, some 5,000 new jobs. The governor calls it the biggest jobs announcement in state history, and it all has to do with a company that specializes in logistics. Sure. Well, the University of Tennessee has quite a logistics program and has for years. What do you think the impact of something like that is gonna have on the university? Well, you know, I think number one, there's no doubt that the Haslam College houses a supply, supply chain logistics program that is one of the very best in the world, I would argue. So the opportunity for collaboration with Amazon should really grow f just from the standpoint of the geographic location. Um, you've got world-class experts at the, on the academic side with world-class experts in the marketing and industry of this kind of an enterprise where logistics is so important. So I, I think there's a real potential. We're excited about the opportunity that it provides and the possibilities are sort of endless about how we might uh, partner with them in a really good way. Uh, I want to ask you another about a, uh, a current event that was a mark on campus and we saw this happen a couple of times in a string of two weeks and that was um, some defamation signs on the rock, that iconic symbol of free mm -hmm. speech on the UT campus. These were anti-Jewish sentiments right. and symbols that were added to the rock and then quickly painted over. But there was a lot of outrage on campus. Um, what can you say about mixing free speech on campus with the safety of students? Well, number one, we want everybody to feel welcome on our campuses and feel <laughs> comfortable no matter what community they're part of. Um, and free speech is a wonderful thing until it's something you don't like, right? I mean, I think it's a great thing that in this country we have uh, free speech. And the reality is, um, as I was taught growing up, just because you have the right to say something that offends or worse yet frightens people doesn't mean that you ought to, whether it be a swastika on the rock or other issue that you want to raise. So we would hope that people would start to understand that while we don't like that kind of speech, the First Amendment protects people's ability, abilities to say what they want to say and that the communities have come together and realized that we need to make sure that those people who are offended by it grab a hold of some comfort that many of us, most of us, are not in that category of um, hate speech about their religious preference. Well, Joe, there, and I'm sorry, John. I was just going to really quickly follow up with that topic before we shift to other things. Is there any merit then recognizing what you've just said uh, to having like cameras on the rock? Is that necessary? Does that make a difference well, if, if we've got to balance these things? The, the problem with the cameras is there are various opinions legally. Mr. Bosch can tell us about it from the standpoint of whether that impacts the abilities of people to have free speech. 
Um, we may have to put cameras up. I don't know. I mean, our legal counsel is anxious about that, to be honest with you. Well, that's not unusual for general counsel to be anxious about yeah. specious <laughs> things or difficult things. Let me take it another direction. If someone had painted on the rock, I'm putting a bomb in Nayland Stadium next Saturday, okay, that would be a, a direct threat to the university that clearly would be investigated, and those people would be uh, pursued to the fullest extent mm -hmm. the law would provide and possibly even charged. Now, while a swastika might not get there with the recent rise in hate crimes, as much as 30% over the last three years is a statistic that's come out this week, um, is there not a fair argument that this is, in fact, a direct threat towards a segment of our population, albeit free speech, that warrants a further police investigation? And, you know, I, I would tell you, Don, that uh, the police department has indeed taken a look at this and will continue to look at it from the standpoint of what's transpired. Um, if we, uh, whether we have cameras or not, uh, many people who want to participate in the activity of free speech by putting those kind of monikers on the rock are going to come hooded, um, covered up, so that it's hard to identify who they are. I mean, that's not unusual, as you might understand. But I think uh, Chief Lane and the police department is definitely looking into this situation. What about KPD and or federal authorities? Do you know if there's I any? Don't, I don't know about those. Okay. I just know that the campus police are. It'd be a shame if you had to put a guard out beside the rock, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. Well, that's not much different, that. unfortunately, than a camera, than because, camera. again, it, it, there right. may be some inhibition of free speech. But I think this could cross a line in terms of a direct threat towards a segment of the population that might warrant a little more police response than we've yeah. seen. Might not uh, even be students, right? I'd, might not be. Wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, we brought you on this broadcast to talk not just about current events, but uh, some of the hallmarks of your tenure. Sure. Uh, when you get near the end of your tenure, you tend to reflect and see how things have gone. For our viewers who don't know why, explain why you felt the timing was right to say, I'm done. Well, I think number one, uh, I really believe this. Uh, these administrative jobs, it's been a, almost a quarter of a century I've been in an administrative role. Um, the reality is, somewhere between eight and 12 years is a pretty good time to have a change for the individual as well as the institution. So I'm right at that, eight years at this situation. I think more importantly, uh, it's important to me personally to retire now because of my family deserves to get me back before, before I can no longer pick up a horse's foot or take people to ice skating lessons and all these other things with grandchildren, and that's important. And then I think if you look at the institution, with all the change we've had, we have a completely new board, we have a new governor coming into office. I knew I didn't want to go beyond June with my contract, that to have me do another, and the General Assembly turned over considerably by retirements, right? That for me to do another six months, make all these connections with people, including the new Governor Lee, who, you know, um, I think he'll be great for education. But the reality is, for me to do it and then say in June, hey, time out, I'm out of here, didn't make a lot of sense. The continuity of that needs to be somebody else. Needs to be somebody else. All right, well, we'll talk about some of uh, the achievements over the last eight years and what you want to see the con university continue sure. to work on. Uh, we have to take a quick break. We'll be back on Inside Tennessee. Back on Inside Tennessee with the outgoing president of the University of Tennessee system. It's not just UTK for our viewers. Dr. Joe has done a great job over the years of educating us just about the thoroughness of the UT system and its reach across the state. Susan? Well, um, 
Before we get to all your accomplishments, uh -huh. I would like to talk about one of the things that was certainly controversial during your tenure as president. You had an AD who decided to take away the Lady Vols name right. and logo and certainly caused everybody in the university community a lot of heartache, I think. Um, is that a regret? Is is that a regret of yours? Do you regret not yeah, you having know, said I, no, don't do that? Well, you know, I've contemplated writing a book. I really right. have. And I have saved various stuff, news clippings, letters, and stuff like that. And I've sort of named some of the chapters. And the chapter around the Lady Balls, I would, I would name it Unforced Error. It was, it was a mistake. Um, and, you know, I think there were rationales around it um, that I wished I'd done differently about from the standpoint of the approach and the, the nature of why it was needed. Um, and I think the rollout of the situation was flawed and difficult. And I regret the pain I caused the institution as well as the Lady Vol supporters. I mean, you always have some do-overs in this job. That's a do-over. It was interesting to watch all of that unfold over time because the populace never was convinced it was a good decision. I mean, you know, sometimes they come around. That was when they were like, no, no. This is not a good decision. Right. The News Sentinel, I remember when Scott Barker was there, told me that as long as the News Sentinel had been in business, they'd never had that many letters to the editor about one subject. And yeah, it really and went on all. for a year. I read them all. There yeah. were a lot of letters. Yeah. Joe, we're, uh -huh. you know, unfortunately, like Susan said, we're sort of uh, highlighting some of the things that were difficult and challenging, uh, but particularly as it relates to the other campuses, UTC, uh -huh. Martin, the medical school, What's the thing that you're the proudest of that happened, not in Knoxville, but at one of your other institutions that you are also the president over? Well, you know, I think a couple of things. Memphis has come a long, long way from the standpoint of their ability to build facilities and really start to jumpstart their research program. And medical schools need to do a lot of research. And they, while they produce great doctors, they've not done as well in the research area. So that's a big win there. At Chattanooga, their foundation uh, has been wonderful. Probably the Rollins gift just recently of a college for $40 million, which jumps their endowment from about $120 million to $160. And if you're a regional campus, that's huge. It's transformational. At Martin, went through Helen back around enrollment, and we're bouncing back. And we've got a great guy out there uh, as Chancellor Keith Carver. And, you know, I think it's just a matter of time before they turn that program around. Right. And lastly, I'll tell you, holding tuition at record low increases for, for four consecutive years below 3% with two zeros this year is a feather in everybody's cap. There was some concern about the impact the Tennessee Promise Program right. might have on four-year institutions. Um, we heard those early on. How did that evolve in the conversation, and where does it stand now? Yeah, I think right now it's not a problem or not an issue. Martin is probably the only campus that suffered as a consequence of that situation. Part of it was the um, lack of adequate recruiting activity on that campus, which they've corrected for, but it hurt them on top of it all. Chattanooga, it really didn't impact, and, and neither did Knoxville, but the benefit of it is upper division transfers in have grown at the two regional campuses, Chattanooga and Martin, like you can't believe. And Knoxville is really keyed up on acting on that as well because you know when you have juniors coming into your program you have capacity out of these uh, promise students. And do we have any data at this point on, on the sort of the academic quality of those juniors now just starting to come into the program? Are they up to par having come through the junior college system? Or yeah I, I think Don the real 
question is, if they're on the right pathway for what they want to do, and that's important, they've done just fine um, when they come into our programs. Um, occasionally somebody gets into financial issues or some other problem that's ancillary, sure. but I think they're a real asset, they're a real plus. One of the things that I think is challenging for high school students and for their parents is to, uh, used to be college was a discovery of what you wanted mm -hmm. to do, and now it almost seems like you, you need to have a really good idea of what you want to do so that you don't waste time in that four-year institution. Right, because the, and the other thing is, the, the way we see rewards from the standpoint of state appropriations, which, oh, by the way, we received $165 million over the last six years, we're now completely absolved of the cliff we went off, and we're actually 13% above zero. But the reality is completion now becomes everybody's job. So now the institution is saying to somebody, the sooner you can decide what you want to major in, the better. And if you're going to have a wide swing from, say, sociology to chemistry, you've got a problem on your hands if you don't decide that pretty soon. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think it's important that you realize that we are saying to everybody, too, uh, we want you to complete in four years. We want our graduation rates to go up, and they have, and our retention rates have too, in order to graduate more people more quickly. We don't want to just sort of dwell on the negatives, but we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up one subject which uh, still uh, is a little bit of a sore spot for some folks, and that's the dismissal of Chancellor Davenport. Mm -hmm. I recognize you may not be able to say much about it, but I just wonder if looking back you think, yeah, maybe if I'd handled that a little differently or... Was she, the good, was she a good fit all along? Um, you know, that's one of the most difficult decisions I've ever had to make, um, and mo one of the most unpleasant things <coughs> I've ever had to deal with in my career. But I think, number one, you have to figure out what you think is best for the institution. Um, and I always have that at heart. Um, and I would say that, you know, as a result of the various agreements we have, I can't say much more than that. Was the letter that you wrote to her was that something that you personally wrote or drafted? I mean, I think the most, I think the criticism I've heard was not really about her dismissal, well, dismissal per se, but the way in which so, it was done. So it's unfortunate in the state of Tennessee that while uh, annual evaluation letters are protected or privileged, that letters of dismissal aren't. <coughs> most people don't understand that. And on the advice of counsel, you can't have two letters. You've got to have one letter, and you have to be able to put your facts in that letter um, in, in situations because of the legal implications. So in short, we're missing some context. Is yeah. fair to say that? Okay. We'll be back with more of our conversation with the president of the University of Tennessee, Dr. Jody Pietro, right after this. Back on Inside Tennessee with the president of the University of Tennessee, Dr. Jody Pietro. Don. Joe, you've been here a long time. First, of course, at the College of Agriculture. Sure. And, then, uh, uh, and then now as our president, of course. And the one thing you have seen is quite the evolution in our state legislature, uh, the body that provides a, a great deal of funding, although probably not enough. Mm -hmm. uh, but tell us a little bit about your experiences from when you began at UT to now as you leave sure. UT. So, you know, when I first came to Tennessee, I was in the plaza a lot because of the ag chancellor job. There, there are lots, to be honest with you, there are lots of crazy bills and good bills over there in, in the area of agriculture, everything from unpasteurized milk um, to the good things about row crops that they want to put in place. But you missed the roadkill bill, by the yeah, way. I did. That's, that's for another day. Yeah, but the, the reality is I've seen it palpably change, and I don't think it's just Tennessee. I mean, I think it's a national phenomenon. Uh, higher ed's gone from being sort of the darling of general assemblies to a situation where we're often viewed as too liberal 
cost too much, despite the fact that we've held tuition at record low increases, and that we sometimes there's opinions that we try to manipulate young minds and make people liberal, and they come to us conservative. And so we've gone from uh, a very positive environment in the General Assembly to one where what really matters is how much political lift can I get from talking to Joe or asking questions at a hearing that give me lift with my base. And you know, I, we have broken five or six system long records. We've performed at a, at a very high level. I think you have to go back to Dr. Johnson to find the place performing this well. And if we'd really performed as badly as some of the antics we had about various situations or circumstances that happen on our campuses, I don't believe the reward system that we've received with $165 million in new appropriations over the last eight years would have happened. You know, uh, fundamentally, I think most of the General Assembly, not every one of them, are happy with how the university is doing, but it's the incidents or issues that pop up that are part of a university, they're controversial, that get in everybody's way. Are you going and to part of it is the parties have just polarized. There are very few people in the middle anymore. No, we don't have many on the left left yeah. in Nashville either, as <laughs> no. Susan and John like to point out on occasion. Are you going to miss that part of the job, going to Nashville and interacting? Or is that part you're like sort of going, whew, be glad honest. that's done? Be yeah. honest now. <laughs> well, I have a lot of friends there, but I sure. won't miss it. What, one of the things that you've been good about uh, educating us about over the years is the, the way the funding formula has really changed right. for higher ed as well. And I think it's worth reiterating that where when you started it was at one level and we really saw a dramatic switch from public funding to private funding. Yeah, we've, you know, um, we've done a great job around fundraising. I mean, you know, we, we had hoped, my goal was by 2020, the institution would raise $200 million a year steady state, and we're, we're, we're at a tick under $400 million this past year. And we named four colleges, which you have to realize is hard, hard work. I worked like crazy at a previous place when I was a dean to get a naming, and it never happened for me. Mm. I mean, for 10 years I worked doing that. And we've had four namings now um, on our watch, which are really transformational and very, very important. So the fundraising part's really done well. And I think you uh, used to point out that 75% of the funding used to come from right. state dollars and 25% from private dollars, and that's almost been a complete reversal. It's a complete reversal. I mean, the state appropriations are somewhere between 22 and 25% of what we spend every year. I mean, the total budget's a little over uh, $2.4 billion. Um, and the state's piece is not a small piece. I mean, you gotta realize that. And the, the General Assembly, they represent the shareholders or stakeholders in this enterprise. And, and it's not like we can thumb our nose at the General Assembly. We have to work with them, and we have to educate them, and we they have to, hopefully have comfort with the leadership and where the where the place is headed. Talk a little bit about all the building going on at yeah. UT. My goodness, I don't even That's recognize another great campus. story. So, you know, I would, it's record breaking. We either built new or remodeled over 11 million square feet across the system. About half of the money's ended up in Knoxville. It's a little over $2 billion. Three quarters of a billion dollars we received from the state of Tennessee, and we raised the rest of it one way or another. Um, so we've transformed all these campuses. Knoxville, all of the campuses needed, Knoxville's palpably different uh, in comparison uh, to when we started. What's your advice to Randy Boyd? Um, um, the most important thing I think Randy can do is he's got a great team. He really does. He has a great team that we've put together. I love building teams. That's the only reason I got into this, 
if he'll listen to them, he'll give he'll get really good advice. He has to make the decisions. Keep moving this place forward. It's got tremendous momentum. Don't let it slow down. Well, you mentioned Bill Lee. Have you had conversations either when he was a candidate or now that he's? Yeah, a we have. Can you share a little bit about kind of what you? Well, I mean, about? you know, I, I, I've known Governor Lee since before he ran for office because he was on the THEC commission, and he happened to have a seat often next to me. And you know, he's got great passion for education, and he under—I'm sure he understands that it's not only about technical education or community college, but the four-year institutions too, because that. All of us participate in making Tennessee a better place and being attractive to people to come here as well as companies. Everything is a matter of degree, including politics, certainly. Do you think there will be any problems with the fact that Randy Boyd is the interim president who ran a very vigorous and hard campaign against now Governor-elect Bill Lee? Do you yeah, think there will be any problem in that relationship? I don't think so. Okay. I've, you know, I've checked that out. I don't think there will be a problem. The when Lamar Alexander went from being governor to president, he had some difficult times with yeah. the faculty accepting him. Will Randy have issues like that, or the faculty give him a chance? I think the faculty are ready to give him a chance, without a doubt. I mean, the faculty aren't really happy with me right now. <laughs> I mean, they aren't. I mean, not all the. It's you don't want to paint them all together. I mean, some of the faculty. You start to to get into post tenure review, routine post tenure review. It makes the place better. It's just a check and balance. The majority of people will sail right through it, but you start to make them realize that there's going to be a different challenge about the bar and where it's at and how they need to perform, they get anxious with you. Well, we'd be remiss if we didn't say you're the first president leaving since Joe Johnson that's been named President Emeritus. Well, thank so you. Thank you and congratulations. Feels good. Yeah, yeah, I miss this place badly. Well, and Dr. Joe, personally, I will always appreciate you being willing to sit in the dirt at Cherokee Farm yeah. <laughs> and talk to me for an Inside Tennessee years ago. So and I will never forget And that. watch us on Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, I always watch you on Sunday morning. You can catch us on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> thank well, you. Thank you. Best of luck to you and your bride and your entire family. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you. We're back with our talk around right after this.